if you'd permit me for the next few moments, I want to continue where we uh, were at last night. And I want you to take your Bible, Joshua chapter number 24. Joshua chapter number 24. And uh, uh, if you could help me for just a moment in Joshua chapter number 24. And we'll begin looking in verse number 14 in just a moment. And we'll look at verse 14 and verse 15. And then we'll turn a few pages over to Judges chapter number 2. And uh, pray that God would just speak to every heart in this building. And uh, Joshua chapter number 24. And then we'll look at Judges chapter number 2. Just a few pages over from that. And um, I want to ask a few folks to help me again. And uh, Kevin, if you'll go and... Uh, get three chairs and set up right in front right here and uh, bring those up. And uh, we're going to reflect for just a moment and get a view of what uh, in the Old Testament God was talking about in uh, these characters mentioned here in the Old Testament uh, that I trust will be an inspiration and a help to us tonight and that we could physically get a view and spiritually get a view of what God is trying to show us. And um, and so as he gets those set up, I'm going to make it easier on everybody. You don't have to stand up tonight. I'm going to let you sit down. And uh, But see, what, what you don't understand, we have to stand up all the time. And uh, I remember preaching at Dr. Tommy Steele's church, and uh, I went there on a Sunday morning. He has two services on Sunday morning. And it's a black congregation, and uh, they don't do anything sitting down, and they don't do anything slow, and they don't do anything uh, that's not getting with it. And uh, so I'm sitting beside Brother Tommy, minding my own business, and all of a sudden the whole crowd on the stage just stands up and starts going with it. I said, "Well, I can't let this white boy just sit here," and um, and so I got to stand up too. And uh, needless to say, there's a, a lady in the balcony, and uh, Brother Tommy got me up to preach, and she says, Lord, have mercy, a white man about to preach in this church. And, um, and, uh, and all of a sudden, I got turned loose, and she said, Lord, have mercy, God on that white man. <laughs> and um, and uh, so we had church, but um, when I got done, I went to bed. Can I get a witness? Because I was up on my feet for about six hours and never got to sit down one time. And I was wore out by the time I got home. I had one of my board members with me. Said He said, I'm wore out, and I didn't even stand up six hours. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was a great service, so I'm going to have mercy on you and uh, let you sit down uh, during this tonight instead of standing up. But uh, I want to ask a question in the building tonight. How many was here or had family represented in 1949 when they had the revival break out here at this church in 1949? You had family. You wasn't here, but you had family represented in that meeting, in those meetings, okay? All right, just, just wave at me a minute, wave at me a minute, okay? All right, and, um, and uh, just, just for a second, who was, who was here, Miss Martha? 
your grandpa. And he was the one that was the praying man that prayed his shoestrings off. Yeah, prayed, 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 okay? Amen. All right. Okay. And then. Got saved during that, okay? Same one. Okay. All right. All right. So that was in 1949. Right here at this location. Wasn't in Scotland that we've been reading about. Was right here. And if I'm not mistaken from what you guys have been telling me, and you had family too, what your daddy. And and your daddy was one of the deacons then. Okay. Grandpa, okay. And if I'm not mistaken, y'all said that the building was packed and the windows was open. And they were trying to get in through the windows to hear what God was doing. All the drunks hung their head through the windows trying to see what was going on. All the bootleggers in town. Huh? Huh? So I want us to think about and reflect for just a moment what you just heard. Now, I'll give you some good news. 1949 to 2019, Brother Ira, if I went to school correctly, that's 70 years. 70 years in the number, in the Word of God, is the number of completeness, is the number of God working, is the number of God doing it again. So I tried to do my little homework, all right? And so when you think about this passage of Scripture, and um, will you come and sit on one of these chairs with me? Would you come here and sit on? He's going to represent. As he sits down, I'm going to make it easy. Like I said, make it easy so you don't want to stand up for six hours. Can I get amen? All right? And I want you to sit right here. And we're going to read in Joshua chapter number 24 by the man's name that's mentioned in that passage, Joshua. And he was a faithful leader in his day. He went to the religious crowd. He went to the political crowd. He went to everyone that was around him that day. And the famous words that we have read time and time again in this passage of Scripture is verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. You've got to understand again the context He is talking to his fellow people. He's talking to the religious crowd. He's talking to the community around him. 
And he's telling them, you got to make a choice. you got to make a decision. What are you going to do with God? What are you going to do with, with what God has shown you and what God has dealt with you over? And he comes to that place where he said, uh, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. In verse 15, he, he made another statement. And if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Everybody in this building's got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to honor? Who is your life going to be a testament for? Will it be a testament for me or will it be a testament for God? Will it be a testament for the cause of Christ or will it be a testament for what I want and what you want? And so here is Joshua standing before his own peers, standing before the crowd that's present. And he said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he makes this declaration and as a statesman he stood up. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And every person inside of this building must come to that place in your own spirituality where it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's not the person next to me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to choose for myself. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to honor God. In that Joshua crowd that this dear gentleman is going to represent and sit instead of tonight represents that crowd that did not sell their bowl of porridge. And they stood true and they lived for God and they kept the lights on at the house of God and they've served God all of these years and they did not backslide and turn their back on God, but they stayed true to the Lord. And it's that Joshua crowd that has been the ones that's prayed, it's been the ones that sought God, it's been the ones that's kept the light on, it's been the ones that's kept tithing, it's been the ones that's kept the doors open at the house of God, and it's that Joshua crowd that I'm afraid we're losing at the house of God, that they were the ones that actually experienced the walls of Jericho coming down. He saw it for himself. He witnessed the power of God. He witnessed God working. He witnessed God moving in his own life and his own family. And he saw it for himself. And we're missing that in this day. Now, let's go to Judges chapter number 2. And we're going to take it a step further. And... You come and and sit down beside of him. And let's look at what the scripture tells us. And I'm just going to give you a quick overview tonight. But I want you to get the picture of what I'm dealing with. In Judges chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, 
who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Now, let me explain verse 7. Joshua 24 is the crowd that witnessed for themselves. So all of you that lifted up your hand, you had a grandpa, you had a grandmother, you had a daddy, you had a grandfather, whatever the case was, that in 1949, they saw for themselves a spiritual awakening come to this community, and they saw even the even those that were outcast looking on inside of the house of God, wanting to get a glimpse of the glory and the power of God. And they seen it. This is the crowd that's experienced. This is the crowd that's witnessed it. This is the crowd that saw it for themselves. But then you had the next generation, which was the elders. And the scripture said that they outlived Joshua. And the scary part is this Joshua generation, the World War II generation, the Korean conflict generation, that generation is going off the scene quicker than we are replenishing them at the house of God. And what's scary is that this is a generation that witnessed, experienced, and saw it for themselves. But this generation is called the elders who outlived Joshua. And all they saw or experienced is what Joshua told them. They were not present when the walls came down. They were not present when God was moving in their midst. They only witnessed for themselves. And for 70 years, some of you, all you have witnessed is what your grandfather told you. All that you've witnessed is what your neighbor told you of what God even did in this place. There's not one person that is here, as far as I know, if there is, uh, tell me in a moment. But, but what I'm trying to say is that not every person in this building experienced that. You've heard the stories about it. You've heard them talk about it. But there is a big difference in hearing and seeing it for yourself. There's a big difference in somebody telling me something and me seeing it for myself. And what's lacking in this day is that we've heard the stories. We've talked to the people of old. We have witnessed for ourselves what they saw, what they witnessed, but we've never experienced it for ourselves. And now we're raising a generation coming behind us that have never seen the glory, that have never experienced the glory, that's never touched the glory, that's never walked in the glory, that knows nothing about the glory and the power of God. And what we've done is we've raised a generation that knows nothing about a move of God at the house of God. You say, well, prove that. Well, just hang on. Because here's Joshua generation. Everybody understand? That's the crowd. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The elders here represents those that outlived Joshua. They never saw it for themselves. All they was was the ones that heard what Joshua said. But now look with me in verse number 10. It goes a step further. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Who were? 
were they gathered unto? Under the elders that outlived Joshua. And there arose another generation after them, notice this, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now, come here. You, you, you sit right there in that third chair. So you've got Joshua generation. You've got the elders generation. And now you've got another generation. And this another generation, Brother Ira, has never seen it. And now it's so sparse that they've never heard about it. And then we wonder why we're preaching is a stone cold face on their face. And we wonder why we can't see a penetration of their own heart because they don't even have an idea what we're talking about at the house of God. And is it their fault? No. Somewhere along the line, the elders sold out what Joshua believed. The elders forgot about what Joshua believed. The elders walked away from what Joshua stood for and what Joshua experienced. And now we're raising a generation and a generation and a generation that's coming on the scene and they've never seen it for themselves they've never witnessed it for themselves they've never experienced old time conviction they've never seen people grip the back of the pew they've never seen individuals crawl into a window under conviction they've never seen a car stopped in the parking lot afraid to go down the driveway because they wonder would they ever make it back or would they fall into hell and they've never experienced old time power old time glory and old time conviction and we're raising a generation at the house of God that we're just comfortable coming to the church we're comfortable singing a few songs we're comfortable going through the motions we're comfortable playing religious games at the foot of the cross and we're just ready to get out go to the restaurant do our deal live our lives for ourselves, and we have become this last generation that we have now raised according to Taylor Swift. It's all about me. And we become a selfie generation and a generation caught up in ourselves instead of caught up in God and what God can do. And do you see the progression of where we're headed and what we have already done and literally at the house of God We have presented the gospel without power, without conviction, and without a change in their life. And then we wonder, why is it when we get them 20 years old, they get caught up in college, they get caught up in a career, and they never stick around later to keep carrying the load at the house of God. Huh? And here the scripture said that this Joshua crowd was that crowd that that was a crowd of individuals that were real Christians that loved God. Then the elders crowd was that generation they're saved, but they're not going to get on fire. They're caught up in their jobs. They're caught up in their careers. They're caught up in the day they're living in. 
And, and the average, average mom and dad that is your age is caught up in what they're involved in. And they're waiting for their retirement. They're waiting to work till they get to 65 or whatever the case may be. And they're working to that end. And then they say these words, then I'll get serious. Then I can have some time. Then I can focus on some things at the church or focus on some things for God. But until then, I'm going to keep pressing on because I want to give my children and my grandchildren a better, uh, better, uh, uh, thing that I'll give them a better inheritance. I want to give them more than I had and more than grandpa had. Well, something with grandpa must have been pretty good. They they knew what it was to pray it in. They knew what it was to believe God for it. They knew what it was to seek God after it. But this generation here, that elder generation, has always knew what it was to take care of it for themselves. Huh? And so now this generation has now raised their children. And now you're raising grandchildren that's never seen nor experienced nor witnessed for themselves what God can do. And then we wonder, why aren't we seeing anything at the house of God? Why aren't we seeing breakthroughs at the house of God? And could it be somewhere we just forgot about the stories, Miss Martha, of what granddaddy's told us and what daddy's told us and what grandpa's told us and what grandmother told us of how God used to work and how God used to move and could it be somewhere that we'd say for one time in our life I'm tired of hearing the stories I'm tired of hearing somebody else talk about it I want to see it for myself I want to see God's glory I want to see God's power I want to see what God can do for my own self And if we're not careful, we will be the only generation that'll go to heaven without ever seeing a real move of God. And then we wonder what's going to happen to this generation. That's why the college professor can get up on our universities and begin to denounce that there is no God and they believe them. And they have nothing to stand for and stand against them with. Because they never experienced for themselves that God is real in their own life. And it's become a fairy tale religion at the house of God. And it's something we do on Sunday and then we leave the building and we'll see you again next Sunday. And then we wonder what's happened to this generation. 
See, it's this crowd, Joshua, that I call the real Christians that love God. It's the elders crowd that I said is just saved as by fire, but mostly living and doing what they want to do. And now we've raised this selfie generation, this me generation that's callous toward God and don't even recognize when God gets in the building enough to let God begin to tenderize their heart. That Joshua crowd was that crowd that was committed to God. It's this elder crowd that's come along that's us, my age, your age. That somewhere we just compromised and we literally almost just quit. We come to church, but we quit. We sing, but we quit. We, we even teach in our classes, but literally on the inside, we've already quit. And we've never shown them faith. We've never shown them God working in our own lives. And now we've raised a generation that is coming behind them that is confused and don't even know who they are. You know, I'm telling you the truth. That's exactly what we've done in this day. Joshua's generation was the crowd that experienced the power of God. The elders' generation was the crowd that saw the power of God on Joshua. Big difference. And now we've got another generation that has come come along that's known nothing of the power of God. We've got Joshua's generation. The scripture declares them as that generation that is hot and on fire for God. And then we got the elders' generation that is lukewarm, the scripture talks about. And then we got a selfie generation, a generation that is cold and indifferent before God. Joshua's generation in the scripture talks about is that spiritual crowd that loved God, that followed after God, that sought God with all of their heart and the body, the mind, their soul, everything was consumed with Jesus, was consumed with the Lord, was consumed with the power of God. But then we've got the elders generation that's come on the scene that's now raising the next generation that's caught up in carnality and just doing what we want to do instead of following after God. And because we have become carnal, now they have become natural and knows nothing of who Jesus is. Their name's on a roll. Their name's part of a church somewhere. But they've never truly been born again. And know it. Natural. That Joshua generation is that crowd that's saved and know it. And loves with everything they have. The elders generation we have produced in this day is I think I'm okay. And this selfie generation has produced that we have produced as a generation that's lost. And undone. And they don't even realize that they're lost. See, Satan, even the Lord described it as he has blinded the minds of them. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel would break forth and shine forth. What's going to happen to this generation? What's going to happen in a few hours to this generation that is coming behind if we don't have revival? Now, think of this for a moment. 1949, there was a group of believers inside of this church. I'm not going to read what I was going to read tonight from Scotland and Sky and Hebrides because I'm going to reflect right here. We're going to get down to where we are, right here. There was a group of believers that prayed, that sought God, and that begged God for revival. And God started breaking loose in this community that it got them out of their houses. It got them off the liquor still. It got them out of the world. And they said this place was packed to capacity and lost people trying to get in. And they'd get in these hollows. They'd get on them hillsides. They'd get around this place. And the power of God would begin to break loose. And if I'm not mistaken, they went seven weeks during those during that year, during that time frame of God moving in miraculous power. And there was bootleggers saved. There was people that didn't know anything about God saved. There was people that was agnostic saved. There was people that did not even know and just didn't even believe God that got saved. And God started making himself known and aware to this community. Because some Joshua's wanted to see God do something. What would happen tonight? Now you come with me. You get up out of that chair. And you got miserable enough. And got dissatisfied enough. That you'd say, I want to see it for myself. Yes. Huh? Yes. I don't want to just hear somebody telling me. I don't want to just think about what grandpa told me, what the deacons of yesteryear told me. I need to see it for myself so my grandchildren can experience it. And you got to the place where you said, I'm coming and I'm going to get behind this Joshua chair because I want to experience for myself what God can do. Amen. I just don't want to reflect about it. I just don't want to hear about it. I don't want to just read about it. I want to know it for myself. And I'm tired of the complacency. I'm tired of the apathy. I'm tired of just walking in the humdrum of church religion. I'm tired of just showing up and nothing happening. I'm tired of just playing the religious games at the foot of the cross. I do believe that God is trying to make 
make a move toward me. And if he will, I will. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to get behind Joshua and say, as for me and my house, I want to see it for myself. I want to experience the glory and the power and the touch and the anointing of a holy God. I just don't want granddaddy to tell me about it. I want to be one of those men and women that walk in it and experience for myself. So I'm getting out of my ease. I'm getting out of ease in Zion. I'm getting out of complacency. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. And I'm getting to the place where I say, oh God, unless you breathe on us, we're going to die. And our children's going to die never seeing the glory and the power of God. And I really believe, Brother Ira, I really believe, Brother Austin, if we as this generation would get dissatisfied where we're at and get up and make a move toward God, God would begin to speak to this crowd. This generation that's never seen it, that's never experienced it, that's never witnessed it, could hopefully start rewriting church history in their own journal of time. That they can say, on this night, I saw God show up. On this night, I watched God run with me to the car. I was trying to get out of the church house as fast as I could. I got in my car and he followed me there. And he intervened on my life and my circumstance. And I got out of the car, ran back in the house of God, and God shook me to my very core, and I've never been the same since then. I witnessed for myself. And what would happen if mama and daddy and grandmother and grandfather would make a declaration this very night, just maybe, come with me, it would be this crowd. As you put one hand on his shoulder, and now you put one hand on his shoulder, we would start seeing God break through again. And God would begin to speak to our own children and our own grandchildren. And no longer would we sit in pews of ease any longer. But God would make himself so real to us that he would begin to break through our coldness and our indifference and our apathy and our unconcern. And we would just not sit on the pew any longer, but we would stand up and say, oh, if God could do that for mama, if God could do that for daddy, if God could do that for grandmother and grandfather, oh, maybe God could do that for me. And I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. 
daily and I want to see it for myself and get dissatisfied of playing the game, going through the mechanics and the motions and say, oh God, for one time in my life, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty and I've got to have you more than breath in my body and get hungry before God. One of the characteristics, no doubt, of the 1949 meeting here was it began to span all generational gaps as God began to move. The characteristics of the 1949 meeting in the island of the Hebrides, in Glasgow, in Og, in in all of that part of the world was it begin to expand and span the generational gap. And as one generation would begin to pray for another, that generation would begin to catch a blaze. And as that generation began to catch a blaze, they would pray for the next generation and that generation would catch a blaze. And Duncan Campbell said at one service, there was a group of young men and young ladies. Again, they would meet at 7 o'clock, go to about 10 in the first service, have tea, go to the second service, and that would be their house meetings. As I told you last night, they would put a lantern on the porch and and that was an invitation that their house was open for meeting. And you could look back over all of those areas and see lights on everywhere as people were gathered together. And it wasn't just one church. It was every church in the whole area. And they were all being impacted under the anointing and the power of God and God moving in a supernatural way. In the story I was going to read to you tonight, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the entirety of it. I'll just give you a quick overview. Said they were sitting in the kitchen, and this young lady was sitting there. And they had just been to one of the services, and they came back to the house where this young lady lived. And they started praying, Mr. McLeod and, and William Campbell and Duncan Campbell and all of those ministers gathered there and started praying. And they said, teenagers started getting saved. Young adults started getting saved. Mom and dad started getting saved. People in that community. And they said they couldn't even count the number of people that got saved in that house that night because so many started responding to the power of God and God working. And they said that it it went beyond the four walls of the building. And if real revival comes, this building cannot contain the glory of God. If real revival comes, it will begin to draw the bootlegger. It will begin to draw that one that's out in sin. It will begin to draw the religious community inside of the house of God. And it will not just stop with old Savannah. It will go up to Wilmot. It will go to all the churches in the area because these churches cannot contain his glory and 
and his power when he begins to set forth and he begins to move and make a move toward us. And what we've got to have is we can see more accomplished in just a few moments of time in God moving in old time revival than you can do in a lifetime and I can do in a lifetime. And when God begins to make a move, that's when we need to move toward him. And what would happen if there would be some people in this building because every one of us are either in one of these three chairs tonight. I'm either on fire for God or I'm comfortable or I'm cold. I'm either saved Saved by fire and not went all the way with God and the Lord are either lost. I'm either (coughs) filled with faith, filled with doubt, and don't even know if God's even real. I've either been one of those that's said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord or I'm that elder generation that's outlived all of that. That's just an old time religion I don't want anything about and don't want to know anything about. And now we're raising a generation that's never even heard about what God can do. They said in the Turkey Creek Revival, Dr. Ray there were so many young folks being influenced for Christ. And there was such conviction and power that began to go throughout that community of Turkey Creek. Said it was not even being able to be contained at the church. And now it's got in the schools. And now it's got in the workplace. And they said that it was such a unusual movement of God that people, they couldn't even get them all in the building. And so what they would do is take different times where they'd have services. They'd have multiple services of multiple people coming in because so many people were coming. Then Dr. Ray decided to bring the tent and he put the tent up and they said they packed the tent and hundreds and hundreds were saved. But it was in those services that not only the Joshua generation was there, the elder generation got right with God, that there were so many of this another generation that got saved and they knew it. And then they surrendered their lives completely to God. That they said in that meeting, that there was so many of this generation that got saved and surrendered their lives to God that now across the globe, they're preachers, there's missionaries, there's evangelists, there's school teachers, there's ministers' wives, and they're still serving God to this day. 
because of the deep-rooted conviction that occurred in those services when God's power began to move. That this generation sold completely out to God. That's what we got to have. So tonight, my question to us, if God worked in 1949, 70 years ago, number one, can he not do that again and even more? But number two, does it not sadden our heart that we haven't seen anything of that magnitude in 70 years? Now, that's where I'm under conviction. And you ought to be under conviction. And it's not God's fault. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's just looking for some people somewhere that'll get out of those comfortable chairs and that'll get to that place where they'll say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And we're going to get in love with Jesus. And we're going to believe God again for God to do something unusual. So tonight, here's the invitation. You're either in one of these three places. Where are you sitting? Where is your family living? Where is your teenagers abiding at do I know God have I experienced God or is it just something somebody's told me about that God used to do and I don't want to go home to glory being the only generation that's never witnessed God working for us. We're still going. Don't get me wrong. We're still going. We're saved. We, we, we're going. But boy, I'd much rather go knowing that I made an impact for the glory of God and took a lot of people with me on my journey. So with every head bowed and every eye closed all over the building, Brother Colton's going to come. You guys, you can go back and be seated. Thank you so very much for helping us tonight. I trust this little illustration has spoken to you. But I wonder tonight how many would be honest in this building because you know what chair you're sitting in. 
You know what chair you're living in. You know what chair that you're abiding in tonight. And there may be people in this building that could stand up with all assurance of stating, Preacher, if I know my heart, I'm sitting in that first chair, that Joshua chair, because as for me and my house, I determined a long time ago, I'm going to serve God. And I've not went back on that statement. But there may be some in this building that you're in that middle chair that you're saved. But you've got to be honest. You've lost your tears. You've lost your burden. You've lost your hunger for God. You've lost your desire for the Lord. And you just got comfortable in 2019. Hiding out till Jesus comes. Living my life for me. And you got to be honest. I got to get out of that chair. I got to get back to where I know I'm supposed to be with God and the Lord. And I'm going to make that move toward the Lord tonight as he's been making it toward me. Then there may be people in this building that's sitting in that third chair. Your name's on the roll of this church or another. You know the language, you know the lingo, you know the all of the all of the right things to say. But you know in your heart of hearts, if you died tonight, you're not sure heaven would be your home. You've thought about it, you've wondered about it, you've questioned it. And you know, you know tonight, if God forbid, if something were to happen to me tonight on the way home, I'm just not sure heaven would be my home. And I don't want to sit in that third chair anymore. I need to know Jesus for sure. And I need to get the assurance of my salvation. And I need to know that if death came my way before morning, heaven would be my home. So there's three chairs, three positions, three places that I can either be sitting in tonight. Where does the Holy Spirit find you sitting? Where does he find me sitting? I wonder how many would be honest, preacher. I'm a Christian, but I've got to be honest. My life, where I'm at spiritually, I've been sitting in that middle chair. I've grown cold on God. And God spoke to me tonight about where I'm at spiritually And I need to make a move toward him. How many Christians would just be honest enough just to lift those hands up in this building and say, that's me. God has spoken to me. There's one, there's two, somebody else. There's three, somebody else, four. Somebody else, be honest right there where you're at. Preacher, I got to be honest. I know that I'm saved, but I've got to be honest. 
I'm cold and my heart's not where it needs to be with the Lord. And I've been sitting in that middle chair for too long. And God has spoken to me tonight. Be somebody else. Just lift that hand up. Somebody else. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Others, others, others in this building. Others. Others in this building. Next question. Just a moment. I want to ask you, do you have enough courage to come? Get out of that seat and make that move toward God. And let God help you tonight. Third question is for the people that may be sitting in that third chair. Will there be somebody in this building, preacher? I played the game too long. You may be a Sunday school teacher. You may be a mom. You may be a dad. You may even be a senior adult in this building. Or you may be a teenager, but you played the game too long. You've got everybody in the building fooled, but God knows your heart. And there's something missing on the inside, and you've got to be honest, preacher. I'm just not sure where I'd spend eternity because of my condition. And I don't want to die lost. I don't want to die in my sin. But I really believe the Lord is speaking to me tonight. And I want you to pray for me. Be somebody in this building, be honest enough, the first time in your life in a long time, you just say, preacher, pray for me. I don't want to die lost. I don't want to die in my sin. I really believe God is speaking to me tonight. Pray for me. Be somebody somewhere. Somebody somewhere. Just lift that hand up and say, Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. Pray for me. Mom, dad, sir, ma'am, young lady, young man. Just be honest enough right now where you're at. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Next question. How many wants to be like Joshua? How many wants to be like Joshua? How many wants to see it and experience it for themselves? What God can do. I want us to stand all over the building. How many of us will just start leaving those seats right there? Get around this altar and tonight get out of that chair that you're in. Say, oh God, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. Oh, God, I want to see it. Lord, I want to see it. I surrender all. All.
Would you make a move? Would you come? God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. Would you step out and come right there where you're at? Right there where you're at, would you step out and come? Would you step out and come? Nineteen forty-nine, here on these grounds, seventy years ago, God manifests His power and His presence. Do we want to see it for ourselves in this day? To Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love Your and trust Their stake. Him in Your church. His presence. Your community. It's a stake. campus, college campus. I surrender and all to Jesus, blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing next verse. And all to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine, let me feel the Holy Spirit and truly know that thou art. Mine and I. 